and welcome back to The War Room, which is our interview series as part of the Clone Star Pod. I am your host, Sean Ferrick. Joining me in the host seat this week is the oft-praised, yet little-seen, Mike Overton. Mike, thank you so much for joining me this week. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Sean. Uh, we are so delighted to welcome um, the person who quite literally gave us the Enterprise D bridge again, which is just... Not a sentence I thought I was going to say, and yet here we are. Liz Klukowski, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, so, like, how often, it, since, you know, the episodes dropped, um, have you been getting tweets and messages from people just being like, oh, you gave me my childhood back, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, a lot, I'll say a lot. Um, it was kind of overwhelming to just get, so many thank yous and like you're amazing. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you for bringing back my childhood, you know, over and over and over again. But it's been, you know, it's really so pleasant and you never get that really on a show. Normally people like it, but there's not like people chasing you down to congratulate you. So that's definitely been, you know, a pleasure. That's fantastic. And I suppose as well, and probably a question you've got a lot is how long have you had to sit on this for? Oh yeah, maybe a year and a half. I'll have uh, yeah. It was it was twenty. We started in twenty twenty one into twenty twenty two, and I've done almost three three shows since that. So I'm going back to like you know three shows ago to of work. You know I've had adventures. I've been everywhere. You know, and it's like oh yeah, I remember we did that, and we never said anything about it. And so now you know it's it's everyone else's first time experiencing it. So I get to relive it, which is also like. I've just been really spoiled, you know, like people applauding or like, oh, this is amazing. Like you can, it's, there's only so many times people can say that, but I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that, it, it, it's incredible because like looking at your, basically your resume, uh, Star Trek Picard, which of course we are all so, um, you know, we are blown off, blown, our socks are blown off, but it's amazing. This is a, and important yet just one part of a very impressive resume um like uh for example i mean your work on quantum leap is incredible um you i know I, I full disclosure i found out this evening that you worked on promising young woman which i thought was an amazing yeah. film um oh, Lass, great film um, <laughs> uh, like how does that feel for you going from genre to genre to genre? Like, do you get to just completely stretch your artistic legs, so to speak, and just like run with it? Yeah, I mean, it's basically that's what we do for a living, you know? So it's whatever genre you're doing, you're researching. So I'd approach Star Trek kind of the same way I'd approach it. I just did, I've done two historical shows. And so I'm in the 1800s and I'm researching every single thing there is about that world and so the world building that's just kind of what art directors do but it's definitely been like you know a very your brain becomes elastic because you're you know you're obsessed with whatever you're studying at the time but star trek definitely was the biggest thing i've ever worked on so it was it was a treat for me i had just watched all of tng before they hired me so i'm like after you watch all these episodes and then you go to work and sir patrick stewart is right there and you're like oh how did this happen you know so it's definitely a that was, I mean, yeah, and even like just the sci-fi and the giant spaceships and the millions of dollars, like that was all new to me. Like Promising Young Woman, we had 
like $40,000 to put art in the movie, you know? And so it was, de- that was definitely a, a jump. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time getting Dave to hire me, but um, just to, no, not even that, but just to get in the door, you know, because it's, you're new, you know? And if you look at my resume, it's not, everything's in the last couple of years, really. So um, it was not just Dave, but it was, you know, many people I had to kind of convince them, Hey, I'm the person for this job. And like, I'm, I'll care for it more than maybe somebody more qualified. But uh, that was that was really the challenge. And then once I got in the door, I ended up being the like trek source, you know, a little knowledge source. And so then, it, I mean, for me, I've it's great when your your I guess your enthusiasm is appreciated, and that applies on every job. But for sure on Star Trek, it you know it, it can manifest. You can get big, you know, really fast. Like it, it's 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 fantastic. I can imagine it's just like this freight train that just keeps going. Um, because um, you came in on season two, is that correct? And then, because uh, I know that season two and three, they were filmed back to back. So was yeah. there an overlap of, you know, one day you might be working on, let's say, for example, the Enterprise D bridge, and then the next day you'll be working on something from season two. Was there a lot of that? No, it, it went back to back, but we do it in blocks. So every two scripts, we'll prep it at, at a time. So if I'm doing like, I came in in episode three-ish of season two, three and four. Um, so you'll do like three and four together, five and six together, seven and eight together like that. So um, they were already shooting three, uh, three and four-ish. And so I was prepping five and six, you know, and then I did five and six, seven and eight. And then um, it was a nine and 10. So the last block um, at that point, I was doing the NASA gala for season two. Um, I was eating lunch one day and, Bruce, the art director I was working for, I was actually the assistant art director at first, and then they upgraded me and like block not. It's the last four episodes ish. But uh, we were eating lunch one day, and the art director was like, "Oh, hey, Dave, blast! You know, Liz watches Star Trek." And he was like, "What?" You know, and so that was for me. It was good because then it was yeah, you could pass kind of a questions test on how much do you know, and then after that, uh, he started assigning me stuff, and so they ended up pulling me off of season two stuff at the end of season two to start prepping Elios and the sick bay for season three. So there were art directors still working on season two stuff, but I was already in the first block of season three and that's kind of how that worked. So we're all overlapping and we all have our hands in all the episodes, but sometimes you have a lot more work in a certain block than others. Like even in season three, Kit had some heavy blocks and then I had some heavy blocks, you know, and at at the end we both had big sets. So it's, it's just, you have to just look at how much work can somebody do in a day, you know, and even that's like, you end up working more so it was definitely very busy i could i i i can well imagine actually mike sitting there it's like I, you know everything he's wearing and around him is just something he's built himself for earlier on today i would imagine you know that you haven't had to get up at 3 a.m like you're probably still up working away on something no i uh, i i clocked off at 9 p.m got a few hours sleep and then i've been up Got up a bit early. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Wake him up. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so, so you said you were one of the first onto season three. What was one of the biggest challenges that you faced with the Elios set? Because obviously that's kind of a bit of a hybrid, isn't it? Between sort of the TNG, you know, it's it's an older set, it's an older ship. What were some of the challenges that you faced with that? Did you have to do a lot of sort of digging back through the archives to look at what was being done at the end of Voyager, the end of DS9, or was it just kind of, no, we we know roughly what we want and sort of jump ahead and get on with it? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of both. So they, I knew it was going to be an old ship. So I didn't have to really study Voyager or um, even like the new, it, the Serena or anything new like this because they wanted it to be a 50-year-old ship. Um, so we ended up going back to the, uh, the episode of Voyager called The Raven, where uh, it's the one where Seven's parents, you got to get Seven's origin story, but they're on an old ship. They're on like a science vessel. We wanted a science vessel. We wanted like a medical ish thing from that maybe even older than that and it's something that they you know beverly and jack acquired and fixed up and it's got some new tech to it but it's overall pretty old so we you know we borrowed the view screen of that uh, i think the biggest challenge was that the room that i had to play with like we get stage space and we have sometimes there's a set already on that stage and you're encouraged to use that because it's there so it's not extra money to build fresh flats you know so we had a room to start with uh, and that room was a square and I was like doing all this research and I'm like, oh man, bridges are circular, you know? And like, everybody kind of knows that. And uh, I guess the, the general consensus was, ah, it's fine. You know, and I was like, and Dave and I were both kind of a little stressed by that. So uh, we, we curvatured the room a little bit. Like there's not really like square corners to it, but it's not as circular as most bridges with a, you know, a, a view screen and a, that kind of thing. So the Helios, we kind of had to design it in a way where if you look at the ship, there is a square little like top viewing window area to it. Like we've backed ourselves into that, but uh, you know, you want it to look like old Trek and you want to bring nostalgia and you want the, you know, the, we've had fun with the L cars playing kind of with that purple and orange Okuda, how he wanted it to be. And that's the Raven has those pretty purple L cars too. So it kind of gives it a vintage vibe. So we started throwing in stuff to give it that like, Oh, okay, this is an old ship. But we also wanted it to feel kind of like Alien, you know, and like the movie Alien. And there's blinky red lights and there's old stuff. And there's, we actually did like some, I think it's Insurrection did them. Um, Todd Marks will correct me. Um, they had some actual push buttons back, you know, there's L cars and then there were push buttons for, for certain things. And that's, you know, even even as far back as original series. So you're like, oh, we know the ship is old and we know there's some some weird tech to it. So, I mean, it ended up being fun, but... It was also, we had some puzzles to solve along the way, you know, and that's kind of, that's what we do. And how long did you typically get to sort of put a set like that together? So I had the most time for Elios and Sick Bay because they were still shooting season two. So normally we shoot like through 15 days at a time. Um, so it's not, you don't have a lot of time. You've got like a couple of weeks in between episodes, but um I had a little bit of time bought for me because we were shooting season two. They started me a little earlier. So it's, yeah, it's just a couple of weeks, right. you know, and there's, you get like a week or two to, in, in design phase where you're zooming with graphic designers and set designers and all of those people, they need time to actually work. Like they have a work week, like, Oh, I worked on this for a week. It's like, they barely had that amount of time. You know, we had concept art we had to turn around. We had working drawings from the concept art that we had to turn around. Uh, all of that has to happen before construction starts building it and construction needed a couple of weeks, you know, at, at minimum for these huge Titan-esque sets. Same thing with the sick bay. It was a brand new build. That was like an empty stage when we came into it. And it's, it had to look like it was on the Titan. And I'm like, the Titan's this huge, massive, like all of new tech, you know? And so you have to take all the architecture from that and come up with something that a room that would fit on this ship, you know? So those were going simultaneously and it was definitely a lot of sleepless nights. But um, once it started, once you start seeing stuff come together, you can, you can relax a little bit. It's um, it, I think one of the things that 
Freck itself has such a good reputation for that has carried obviously over into Picard is the sets always look that you can see the love and care that go into them. Um, and it, it, it grounds it an awful I mean, we have this thing that's set in a nebula out in space. Um, you know, you've got an awful lot of CGI going on, and yet you have these solid, real spaces where you see, you know, characters moving from day to day as well. Uh, an awful lot of useful got out of the 10 forward set, which we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. I was like, because yeah, we were we were watching a few episodes in, they were just being like, "This is this, this is getting your money's worth out of this set. This is a good set. <laughs> what it is right there." Well, I think their intention though was to to show like people lived here, and you want to yeah. part of the like conceit is that you believe that these fans are. I mean, that these characters are like you're the fan, and the characters are living this life. So they go and they eat. And they have dinners in their apartments and they're running down hallways looking for some tech room to get something done. So when you, when you give that, like, I want to say realism, you know, even though it's sci-fi, that believability, you know, like that. So they, the 10 Ford was a great place for that because it gave, you know, they could write all sorts of stories in it, but it's, you go to eat every single day. So you believe that, oh, okay. Yeah. They'd be here. You know, so that's their hangout spot. I think this year it was the sick bay was kind of the hangout spot, but Beverly was back. So. Yeah, you know, she's she's probably down there. But that that's like the fun thing of why you know why Star Trek is fun, you know, is we're escaping for a little bit. Absolutely. Um and entity, and it's just you know, kind of I I think it's been said time and time again, particularly since season three came out, is how much it it does feel like it's recaptured an awful lot of particularly of obviously the next generation feeling that um we as next gen fans have been you know, kind of waiting for since Nemesis, and it's been what well, not that it wasn't there in seasons one and two. I don't mean to imply that, but it's there is a, a lovely familial sense with the returning cast as well as everything else. Of course, culminating in you know, kind of the world could hear the squeak as everyone kind of had that same reaction as you know, both the hangar bay doors open and then the bridge doors open. Um, that was incredible. That that was just incredible. How difficult was it to? I mean, like, like in terms of getting it to look exactly as it did, uh, in you know all good things. How, what what was the challenge there? And I presume, what what was the fear levels of? Oh my God, we've got to get this right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it starts it's it, it started in season two where like when you see fans um, when fans don't like something, right? There's a lot of talk uh on you know the, the feedback is i think pretty pretty loud and so you if you get it right, wrong never someone's stuff. gonna notice it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so so you know there's the, there's that fear like they'll know you know and so there's there's a little bit of that but it's also it's like you want it to be that like you don't want people to be like just comparing what was wrong about it and like we're not on the vegas set we don't like it would all it would be about that and it wouldn't be about the story and really the story was coming back to that that moment and you want to have those feelings and you're not going to have those feelings if there's too many distractions. And so I guess that was the first fear. Uh, and then the second fear is when you're, especially in television, you're using what you have and it's not feature level budgets. You know, even this show, it was pretty big, but it's no, no, there's not enough for that because we've got another episode, you know, and when you get to the last episodes, there's only so much money left, you know, and that applies to any budget show. And so the fear is that, oh, we're not going to have enough money to do it right. Oh, then we'll just, whatever. We'll just put old fake chairs in or uh, we'll, 
we'll cut, you know, we'll cut corners here and the doors will be wrong. Or like, there's all this stuff that like, once you start making, it's like when you substitute in a recipe and then you substituted too many things and now the food tastes horrible. So there's a, another fear that people are going to say, oh, that's fine. You know, and it's probably not going to be fine. But I got really lucky that uh, they, my obsessive personality was encouraged. And so I'm like, oh, like stressing about things that normally people would be like, what, you know, you're nuts. But now they're like, oh, no, no, we understand. Like, we'll get it right. And so that was really cool. You know, people were supportive and everybody, I think, knew that they were creating history or recreating history a little bit. And so there was, there wasn't really a lot of pushback with, oh, can I just do it the easy way? Like everybody was like, can you explain it to me? I just want to make sure I get it right. You know, and so that you, you can, you can tell like the care and love that was put into it. But, you know, even people that didn't, there were a lot of people in our crew that didn't watch TNG, you know, and so they don't, they have to be guided to to do it right. But it's like a museum recreation. You really want to just make sure that, you know, there's reference material and you're matching the source material and people didn't cut corners. And I think you could see that. I, 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 there's, there's, well, there's several shots. There's one particular. Um, I think it's where Data's piloting, uh, and there's a, a camera pan right up, and you just see that decal on the edge of his uh, console. It just has the zero forty seven, and it's like <laughs> things like that. It's the detail that goes into that, and then what he have as well. He has the added, I suppose, challenge of all of this is being shot and broadcast in four K. So it's like, right. you know, if if there's a scuff, I've already seen people, in fact, um, comparing the accuracy of the horseshoe uh, in terms oh, of yeah. down to the actual paneling of the wood. Oh, yeah. No, we I mean, we tried really hard with that. And there were things like if you bring up 4K, um, there were screw holes in all of the panels uh, in TNG. And you didn't see them because it was SD and it was film and there was all this stuff that you lose. And you don't lose that in 4K. So, you know, somebody drew, uh, Kevin, I think, drew the screws in because he was copying the reference images. And when we got to it, some guy was holding a screw gun and I was like, oh, no, no, don't, we don't want screws. But that was a choice because we knew that people would see it. And then it's funny, I've seen on the internet, people are like, oh, there weren't screws, like they changed it, you know? And so it's it's kind of like a, you know, it's a double-edged sword a little bit, but that was a style choice because they would have been like shiny and huge in 4k and so there are things that again we don't want to create distractions and so like the stickers too were a big discussion um because mike used to he has joke stickers and most of the stickers were jokes because you didn't see what was on the sticker now people can read what's on the sticker so we're like oh do we do jokes or do we do um you know the real thing and so he sent me the graphics for both and i printed both you know and i think one of the replicators has a joke on it by accident but mostly all the stickers are real because we were afraid that you would see them so, you know, they're, they're, you know, we had to take all of that into account. I can just imagine, like, there's fury as this goes out, people are going to go straight to analyze every frame of the replicator. All right, where's the joke? Where's the joke? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen it. I didn't I even notice that somebody, somebody said it. Somebody pointed it out to me. I'm like, oh, do we put jokes on that? <laughs> um, I know, actually, well, Mike, you would know more about this uh, than me about rebuilding the actual, obviously, the L cars and the screens um, on the bridge. From what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike did most of the work on the Enterprise D, and then some of it was handed off to Twisted to then sort of animate and so on. And am I right in thinking that it's only the back wall that used displays? 
everything uh, else was printed. So the con and ops, what Data and Jordy are playing with, those had screens in them too. Oh, okay. Okay. But then everybody else, like the captain's chairs, the horseshoe, all of that was just backlit. The replicators, you know, anything that kind of doesn't really animate that much. Even the the walls, like the padded walls with little blinky lights, those um, actually have L cars on them. Those are just backlit. Right. There's no like, I, we could fit an iPhone everywhere, but, you know, and then someone <laughs> has to operate. So there were seven screens in the aft. It's like five in the middle and then two little side screens that you you don't you only see them when in the kind of raking shots. But those were screens. Was, were there any challenges to trying to get all of that to look as especially with screens to look as close to the original TNG as possible? Because obviously going back to the original TNG, it was a translite panel with a CRT monitor in it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I was shitting myself most of the, <laughs> the whole process trying to get it. <laughs> So it was right. <laughs> and it's funny too, because I was like, no, no, we're going to do everything authentic. And Todd um, playback was like, no, no, we can fit screens back there. And um, Mike and Ben Betts, actually, who's another playback guy, they all, they all worked on, I mean, I, I had so many people that were on the original shows. So like, it was super helpful with like, oh, how did you do it on Nemesis? How did you do it on Insurrection? So, you know, I had that knowledge with them, but they're explaining to me like the, these things and the blinky lights and all this stuff that, I guess when you looked at the back of the app, it was just a wired, like crazy mass of like geniusness, you know? So all of this, that's how they had everything working and they had the little CRTs and Todd, you know, Todd looked at me and he's like, I think I can find screens that'll fit. And I ended up agreeing and yeah, I was worried we wouldn't find things that would fit the aspect ratio, but we found like the 50 inch TVs fit and it didn't change. What I didn't want to do is change Mike's original L cars. And so it'll force it sometimes based on how much the screen can cover. And right. we just got lucky that the top of the screen is at the bottom of the top line of the aft. And so it fit. Uh, and then the, the benefit of that is now all of that blinky, the spinny, the, the CRTs, all of that can be built. Twisted can build that into uh, the graphic. And so Mike gave us like base graphics for everything. And then this, everything screen related, Twisted added, you know, the glam to and the Twisted and those guys did the power-up sequence which was beautiful you know and all of that oh, wow. was in camera which people don't realize yeah. but then the um all the l cars you know mike had those base graphics but they all had to be resized to whatever my plexiglass was and so i'm down there measuring you know to the millimeter <clears throat> what this plexi is you know to, to get it right but even that like fitting it so when you put tv behind plexiglass the tv is always going to look brighter than what the graphic is around it you know, and so you kind of see these like squares popping out. You can see it with the CRTs too. Like you, you see a, a, a square yeah. where the TV would, would, even when it's off, the black is different. And we ended up troubleshooting. Uh, I spent a lot of uh, more money than I want to admit on um, trial plexi like testers. To, and we ended up putting a very, very light smoke plexi with a mat, a black mat all around it. And that would go over everything. And it actually just sharpens the blacks of the monitors and ties everything in. And so when you look at it, like when you, you're staring at a black border with a, with a bar that's printed and then you've got TVs behind it, but you don't notice it because the smoke kind of ties it all in. And even with the L cars, if you turn regular plexiglass, if you turn the lights off and it's printed backlit, it's going to look bright. It's going to look like it's still on. It's just not going to be like glowing. And so with the smoke, when you turn it off, it looks black, like a TV is turned off. And so when you right. play with different levels of smoked plexi, some of them are so, because I can't put smoke plexi in front of a TV or it's, the TV is not going to look as bright as you want it to. So it's just a slight, like, you know, very, very 
light smoke on top of it, but that, that kind of ties it all together. So that was another trick to, we printed some stuff on clear plexi and when you turn it off, it still looked bright. And I was like, Oh, this isn't what it, what they did, but they use smoke plexi back on TNG. So I'm going to the same vendors to find the same material, you know, and you do tests and that work that ended up working out, but it's definitely like people are asking you like, Oh, what's, you know, what's the plan Liz? And I'm like, Oh, you know, figure it out as we go. <laughs> What's the plan? It's a secret, and I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I knew they give you time to research it and get back. You know, it's a need to know, and you don't need to know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Once everything is in place, then um, I, I, the I suppose the difference between next generation and Picard is lighting. It just shows are lit differently now. So, and then when you go back on board the bridge, it tends to automatically go back to the 90s lighting style. Is there then a nightmare of trying to keep the light reflections out of these same screens? I know there was, they, they had their troubles back in TNG. There's bl black cardboard everywhere on screens. You know, did you then find yourself being like, great, okay, we've got everything. I mean, th th with, the, with the display, that's incredible. Can please no one light this set? And just no one likes it, and then my life becomes easier. <laughs> no, actually, I figured this out um, back on Sick Bay. So the um, Voyager style, like sanitizing bay there, that's all straight plexiglass, and that's straight plexiglass like facing camera. So in theory, the lights and the camera crew and everything would be visible on that plexi, just like how in TNG. That's why the after is such a struggle, is because the screens are all like upright. And so we did some testers and we figured out a way um, running uh, an ink pass over the top of the plexi. So it's clear plexi with the backlit film attached to the back of it. And then we'd have the print shop run uh, like a mask almost on the top of it. And the, the ink that they run, uh, it's just a faint, like almost like the smoke plexi, but it mattifies it. And so it kill it like absorbs all the reflections. And so we ran tests on that and we, all the sick bay, um, it's almost like a, uh, um what's the word it's almost like a film that you put on the like a mattified film that you put on the top of the graphic but uh, we tested that and that worked like you don't see any reflections in sickbay like at all you know and so we tried the same thing on enterprise d and it all that stuff works so you can see like kind of soft glowing of the lights but you don't see crew reflection they really didn't have any reflections to deal with so that was a super win the only thing with it is if you clean it with alcohol or even windex you'll clean off my ink and so a few times there are like little scrub marks and I'm like ripping the, the pieces off and sending them back to the sign shop to redo. So construction, I think every piece of plexi that they cut, they cut three cuts. So like the, the horseshoe yeah. had three backups and I didn't print, I think I had a whole backup, a whole set of at least one of the horseshoe. Cause I was afraid of sitting on it or people breaking it, you know, stuff happens. And then I, you know, on the day we didn't have a lot of time to shoot it. So I'd have to bring that in pretty fast. So I did have like a, a backup but um yeah if if we break the backup then i'm doing a backup to the backup and it was just like tons of plexi being sent to the sign shops to, to be printed uh so that was but it actually it worked really well and we didn't we didn't break anything i think we only replaced the horseshoe plexis once and that's because somebody cleaned it or something happened i thought so you were gonna say jonathan frake sat on it <laughs> no that was the Ilios, but that was that was a different set <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, it's funny because if, uh, if there's hardly an episode of TNG goes by and he's not sitting, it's become a running joke. 
that Riker mm. sits on every surface possible. <laughs> you imagine that happened on the Elios, did it? Yeah, and it's funny. I was mad. The glass broke, and I was like, who did this? And no one would say anything, you know? And I was, like, storming my way into the set to, like, make an announcement. And somebody was like, no, it was Jonathan. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? And so, that, uh, <laughs> so we replaced that glass twice. So that and that was that, that was real glass, and I found that out the hard way too. That was Elios was my really my first set, um, trying to figure out the tricks of like L cars and tap screens, and you know someone told me, oh, you can't use like plexi plexi because it'll it doesn't work, and I was like, what do you mean it doesn't work? And I ordered the graphics, and when the, they type on it, it goes boom 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 boom, and so I was like, oh no! And so as long as you know like soon enough, um, so that had to be tempered glass. And so we get that printed, we bring all the stuff. And I didn't do the the cool film trick. I hadn't figured that out yet on Elios. So if you look at the Elios screens, they're much more reflective. But the ceiling was cool, so we were kind of okay with it. Um, because it was just reflecting the ceiling. It wasn't like vertical reflecting the crew. But yeah, so when the glass breaks, it's broken glass and you've got to replace that immediately. So I, I learned that lesson too, that now so you have backups of everything. <laughs> <laughs> just just imagine like there's the box that's just like in case of freaks open box <laughs> well and i didn't really like i mean i watched the show but i wasn't like under fear of freaks sitting on it you know like, you don't think about that until um afterwards you know so it was that was fun though he's he's honestly my favorite he's such a lovely man i'll replace the glass for him anytime um, it's funny actually that you mentioned because there's a few a few people who have had were able to be on set for filming and then actors and crew have come out and said that it was so much fun being on set, but they had the fear of God of touching anything or scuffing anything or marking anything. And I completely understand it. Um <laughs> because not only of course we don't have to change everything out, but just like, hold on, we realize later on. There's a, now a scratch on that that wasn't there earlier on. Who did that? Um, the right. pressure must have been intense. Well, it's it's like don't it's not. I don't know if it wasn't the actors as much as even the crew. It was like be very careful with the set because it's so important, you know. And we're gonna save it afterwards. We're not throwing it out. So this isn't something you mm. can just like throw your, your equipment through, you know. And not that they do it anyways, but it definitely was. Um, it, it even like for the for the pyro you know like the, there was talks of doing like some like, explosions or some sparks and stuff and i was like the carpet <laughs> like you know like we can't i've seen the pictures that says somebody please think of the carpet with that sign up in the middle of it <laughs> yeah, yeah so i there was a whole like me having a meltdown because we were talking about sparks and the, ian was like we're not doing sparks the, the first ad so yeah there was some of that so yeah i mean they I think the respect thing was really there just because it was, it's just such an important, it's a character, you know, it's like your grandma, mm -hmm. like you take, you're very, very careful, you know, leading her around it's out of love. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I try not to shower my grandma in too many sparks. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you've actually touched on a very important thing as yes. So the set has been kept uh, for posterity. Where is it? And can I have a go? Yes, yeah, about to say the yeah, same no. thing. <laughs> no, and it was uh, it was a fight too. Um, not a fight, but like, where is it going? And everyone's mm. kind of talking about, <clears throat> oh, it could go here, it could go here. But the panic is there'll be a time where this rental on the stage will be like the we we don't you know the lease is up and the stuff has to go, 
you know, and the mm. same thing with the labor, it takes grips and construction, you know, prop makers and all these guys to disassemble it. Um, so that we've got to do it in the time period that is like in the budget. I had already moved on to another show. Uh, it sat maybe another week or two before they gave the strike order. And then somebody sent me like a picture of the empty stage. <laughs> I was just so sad, you know, that it was packed up, but yeah, no, it was, there were, there were debates on where it was going and I'm pretty sure Star Trek archives put it in a warehouse, but then it's like, do you have enough space for this? It's very big. Um, you know, we're going to show up with it and is there enough room for it? And so John Van Sitters who runs um, Star Trek archives, he had pulled that together and you know, you've got to convince somebody with money to open a lease on a warehouse or move stuff around to make room, you know, and so that he, he settled all of that. So it's in the, it's in the archives, you know, which I, I think is a safe place. So when someone wants to set it back up, I hope they call me and I'll set it back up. <laughs> I just have visions of a warehouse 13 style room. That's just, you know, goes on for <laughs> kilometers and it's just full of everything. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it's a lot smaller. <laughs> it's he has like, there's rooms everywhere and little warehouse spaces. And it's, there's, you know, we've gone, we would, we'd go there to look for stuff, maybe vintage things we wanted to use. Like he, he lent me some tricorders and some stuff for the sick bay and for Beverly's her ship, you know? So, um, mm. That it's it was cool to see all of that stuff, but it's it definitely they didn't have enough space when we we were nervous um, when we, when we were talking about it. But um, yeah, I think I'd definitely be a lot sadder if I had to tell people it was gone. But it's not gone; it's, it's safely tucked away. <laughs> that is, I, I I think yeah. Once once people who started to see that it was being kept and it was uh, it was like this collector's sigh was it was kind of <laughs> relief. Because, I mean, it's just, it seems part and parcel, you know, a show finishes up, you strike the sets. It's just part of it. Um, anyway, I'm, I've lost down a sad, a sad rabbit hole here. Um, but anyway, what happiness is that it still exists um, for the inevitable Star Trek legacy, which I presume you're about to confirm for us right now. Uh, I would love to. I wish I knew anything about that. But, um, and I hope they call me for that too. But, uh, you know, I signed the petition. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it was a sigh of relief. It definitely. Um, we don't get that on, I mean, honestly, everything I've ever worked on has been thrown out unless, I mean, maybe not everything. And Universal is good about, they save stuff. Like if you work it on a certain lot and their assets, they'll asset that stuff. And so then you'll see it, you know, later on on a different show, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see it, but um, it doesn't happen all the time. And especially if a show gets canceled, um, you know, or if it's a finale or whatever, it, there's a chance, you know, maybe it's a first season show. I worked on one of those this year that didn't make it and all that stuff, I'm pretty sure got thrown out. So it was, you know, you put a lot of love and care into all anything. And, you know, sometimes it's saved if it's acidable, but if it's not, you know, must move on. But that's, that's also kind of part of the job. I was going to say, it's something that you have to bear in mind that you, you know, that a lot of this stuff isn't going to be saved. You know, you can't get too sort of personal with it because, you know, it's going to be thrown in the trash afterwards. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's what it's making movies, you know, so you're, you want to make it look as realistic as possible. And afterwards, yeah. uh, whatever happens, happens. But a lot of times, like no, nothing we're making is, is going to stay forever. You know, we're not doing the Sistine Chapel. It's it's all scenery. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I mean, think the Enterprise D could be up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like in, in terms, I'd say Trekkies, I mean, myself included, definitely consider, you know, the Enterprise D bridge as, you know, at least on par with the Sistine Chapel. And that sounds 100%. like an exaggeration, but actually I 
think there'd be probably a sizable amount of Trekkies who'd be like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> One of those. <laughs> uh, I remember, now, I, I, I'm 90% sure I have this right. I think it was after Star Trek V wrapped. The, the bridge was kept, but it wasn't kept safely. So when production started on six, I might be, it might be four or five, but I think it's five, six, that they were like, great, okay, brilliant, let's get the uh, bridge, which we saved, and it's brilliant. And it had just completely started to rot. And it was just, I think everyone was just like, oh, my God. So, well, you, you know, know. I mean, if something's going to come back, you know, and I worked on um, a couple of years ago, the show How to Get Away with Murder. And we mm. worked on, we would do an episode and then three episodes later, a set that we took down would come back because they're telling flashbacks and they don't know where the ending, where it's going to go. So we folded this whole set to make room on a stage and they're like, okay, bring it back. You know? And so you never know what, when you'll need it again. You know, if there's a season, another season, like if you're a season one or two and you know, there'll be a three, you save everything because you never know how mm. it's. And same with me too, because I'm a lot of, I do a lot of research. Uh, and management and like bi my binders, like just having a wrap book explaining here are the paint colors. Here's what we did. You know, here's our process. Like the enterprise, I remember a lot of it, but I wrote everything down, you know, so that when we come back, Oh, what did we order? You know, it's, it's such a hassle. Or if you take over something, sometimes somebody, the, like the pilot will be one crew and then a new crew will come in for the rest of the season. And if the pilot doesn't, that don't have, you know, they didn't tell us what they did. We have to recreate a lot of that stuff. And so it ends up being a lot of forensics. So it's not a foreign concept, but um, I am trying to keep it, you know, keep it together for the next guy because you never, you really never know what's going to come up, you know, or even if you're going to refurb something and turn it into something else and you need to match paint colors, even just that alone is good to have it all written down. But the plexi much from, the process we did with all of that, you know. So how much from the original TNG sort of construction was there in way of reference material did you have original blueprints original paint colors and all of that or was it a case that you literally had to go through episode frames and just general knowledge to try and figure out what was left and what was supposed to be what there was there was stuff but it wasn't um nothing was in a binder neatly organized for me in, in the order i needed it it was um doug drexler had some prints uh in his garage that he took sent me photos of um, the Okudas had stuff. The big thing with me is the Okudas were really good about cataloging, and so they had set photos from season six that um, we wouldn't have been when it, we we wouldn't have been successful without those because he takes pictures of things that you don't just get from a screen grab. He takes pictures, you know, he's his brain is art department, so he has pictures of all yep. the L cars and the horseshoe and every angle and the little alcoves and stuff that you don't think to go take a photo of. Mike had all of that, so that was super useful. So from that, some screen grabs, prints from Drexler. There's a bunch of prints on the internet. And then kind of the same, I kept finding the same prints. Like even at archives, they had a couple of, they had the horseshoe and they had the ceiling. There were some, there were some pages that, you know, Drex had the same copies of the same stuff. And so I'm like, oh, I already have that. I already have that. So I was missing a lot of stuff, but I had like maybe 40% of what the original build was. But I had stuff that they drew from the pilot. And they change stuff even after from the pilot to season two, mm. you know? Yep. So now, now we're extrapolating, Oh, what got changed, you know? And then the set designer has to just do that from photos. So we had to evolve all the stuff. We had drawings for things, but yeah, it all had to be evolved. And the paint colors, um, a contact of mine, James Colley, who runs um, the Ticonderoga experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he has a um, piece of the set 
original set. I don't know where he got it from, like one of those collectible, you know, eBay or from the trash of Paramount. But he has a piece that he color matched for me to get the beige. You know, and so oh. there's stuff that, you know, I was like, are you sure this is right? Because I don't know. And he's like, it's right. It's right. Like, he's 100% sure that it's right. You know, and if he's, if, any, if I trust anyone with authenticity, I trust that guy. So. Oh, that would be, yeah, I, I can only, because as you've mentioned, it's like, we will be there with our notepads and, you know, <laughs> we will be well-meaning. We, 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 we yeah. will, we, you know, kind of, oh, yeah. Uh, and am I, I really hope I'm right in saying this. It is, it is the dedication plan that, it, that survived from the next generation. So, so when John Luke walks past that, that's, you know, like, you know, all of the tears that well up, that's the one that was on the bridge. Like, was that kind of, I can only imagine that was, you know, the crown jewels have less security than that probably has. <laughs> well, it's, you know, times are different. So, you know, in the old days, uh, I said the old days, the TNG days, uh, the captain's chair was stolen. And this time around, I was like, if somebody steals this plaque, like this is a priceless piece. I mean, it's from Mike, Mike Akuda, like Herman Zimmerman gave it to him. So Mike, you know, and it, the frame was missing. So we reframed it. He had, but he had the plaque and I compared it to the Franklin Mint one that I was going to use. And it's different. You know, they're, they're close, but, um, you know, I was like, oh, we've got to use the real thing. And Mike, would you let us use it? He's like, oh, of course. But um, now I'm responsible for this priceless it's Mona Lisa. And so um, I took it down at every night after they were done filming. I took it and locked into my office. But um, one night I was working late and I had left it there and I went down to go get it at like nine o'clock or something and it was gone. And I was like, <laughs> Dave probably took it. So I went to his office and was like, where is it? And he had it, it was on his table. So, you know, he tried to give me a little bit of a scare, but um, yeah, it, it should have just been taken down right when they wrapped. So at one time, it was, it was, uh, you know, hmm. unaccounted for, for a few minutes. That heart in your stomach feels sick. What yeah, the hell has like, happened to this black? <laughs> <laughs> but the oh times God, are different. Oh so, I mean, there's not a, as many people on this set that, I mean, well, first, first of all, um, security is a lot different. There was COVID. You couldn't get on the lot. It wasn't like tons of people working uh, at Santa Clarita Studios. Like our stages only had Star Trek people. And not everybody who works on the show is a Star Trek fan. So there's some people who are like, what? Like, they don't care. You know, they're just going to work. And then there are other people that understand how it's important, how important it is. And so I just didn't want to take that chance. So it was, mm. you know, taken down. <laughs> just imagine all these selfies on the net of people just holding this plaque. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Even getting it back to Mike, too. I'm like, are we mailing it back to him or are we going to hand deliver it to him? Just to make, you know, just to get it back to him. So, yeah, I think it's the same thing. It's like bubble wrapping it and making it look very nondescript. <laughs> That's it as well. Like, you know, you're kind of like, once it's too obvious, you're like, oh, someone's going to twig it. There's going to be someone out there going to twig it and be like, oh, I might right. just see what's in this box. Um, and then someone sends <laughs> it the Frank the Mint one. I'm just like, of all the people who probably get it straight away, it's like, like Michael Good is like, That's not mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was the temptation there and did you act on it are your signatures anywhere on this bridge because i'm trying to think could i have resisted our, i don't know no he put our initials in the l cars and that's that's like a common practice so he has yeah. some of the l cars are like the original initials on the original l cars but the um warning lights on the back left and right of the aft had art department and construction 
Uh, and so our, our initials are in there. And so that's, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's enough, you know, he, he changed it. And honestly, he, he put most of the crew's initials like throughout the set and everyone was kind of going in there looking to see if they could find theirs. So it was really cute to, you know, uh, Oh, I don't know if he got me. And I'm like, Mike, you know, calling him to, to <laughs> make sure everyone got included. <laughs> oh, I think Kit posted point. on Twitter that, that picture of that turbo lift panel with all of the initials and that on it. I think, yeah, I think Kit tweeted that one. That is, that is, it's funny. I mean, not only, again, have you built Star Trek history, you are built into Star Trek history. There's basically, there's no escape now. Like, you, you, you're stuck. <laughs> That's true. Now, even, like, uh, I saw myself on Memory Alpha, and I was like, what, how did I get on there? But my name's on the Titan plaque. And so, because the Titan yes. was in, is in prime time story. Technically, I'm I'm in you know the Alpha timeline. I exist, so that's that's kind of cool. It's on the Enterprise G plaque as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, that one. And actually, I think I'm on the Stargazer one too because we all we worked on all those ships. That's 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 a bit cool. I'm still working my way to getting onto one of them. Uh, so when I get there, we'll compare notes. It'll be good fun. Um, <laughs> but once you're on Memory Alpha, I think that's when it's real. And you're on a memory office. So there you go. There, that's that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, in terms of, so obviously, as, as you've said now yourself, there's several shows you've worked on since Picard. You know, what what do we get to see next with your signature all over it? There's a bunch of stuff. So Quantum Leap, I did 12 episodes. So the first 12 of Quantum Leap. Those are, so like, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. There's like a 1960s, um, nuclear facility. We did a spaceship, like a like a you know '90s era spaceship. Like we had a lot of really cool sets on there. But after episode twelve, I moved on to the show called American Primeval, which will be on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's like a Peter Berg um, noir western. It's not a western. It's like a like a goth American gothic. I guess is what they call it. It's like a dark, dark eighteen um, hundreds. They uh, they told us not to say Western, but it's really hard to. This just horses and you know out, out in the wilderness, but it's like a like a revenant type thr- thrillery period piece. Okay. So no, super not anything Star Trek. Like I do miss space a little bit, being out in the dusty wilderness. You know, it's ninety nine percent not on stage, so we're out in the world. Um, I mean, maybe this is such a silly question, but how is it more fun to work on location? Because obviously on location, there's going to be things you can't control, things you can control. Is it more fun to work on a set where it's just like, nope, at least I can control all of the things that are going on here? Or is there a bit more fun to the, I have no idea what today is going to bring? It's like summer camp right now. Like I'm, We're out in, like, in the cowboy camp. So every day is like, you know, you're adventuring out to some location on the top of a mountain. So that's really cool. But yeah, you do have a lot less control. And it's nice because sometimes you don't need to do a lot. Like the camera will just pick up, you know, beautiful sunset or, you know, you, you kind of find those moments that you can't find on stage because everything has to be planned out. And you can't look out that way because I don't have a wall there, you know, or there's, there's it's it's just different. But there was something really fun about Star Trek because we would come up with these great ideas or these crazy ideas and then no one would say no, you know? And so we're like, okay, we're making, you know, we just had all this like stuff that we were doing and, 
you know, eventually people will say no if something gets to be too expensive. But like the nacelle table in the nacelle room, the, t- the whole table like actuates up and the nacelle core is there and everything interacts. Like the actors can pull all the wires out and gut the whole thing. And it's like a real table, like a real working thing. And nobody stopped us. So, you know, we were like, oh, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And I mean, that that type of, you know, creativity and collaboration, like that was the most fun. Like I had so much fun working on the card. Like it was just a blast. Like every day was, you know. And sometimes your problems are like trying to make Star Trek logic work, you know, and like force fields and uh, what are we looking at? And, how, you know, how does is this a closet? Is this a, you know, whatever it is, but they're just different problems, you know? And so it's, but it, yeah, no, we, it was just a, yeah, a blast. That's it. That's, that's, and that's amazing. And it's also, that's what you want to hear as well, isn't it? You want it, you want it to be, because I mean, imagine you come on here and see things like, oh, it's the worst period of my life. Oh, it just, you know, <laughs> everyone, and that Dave Blast, awful human being, just, just a terrible human, it's awful to work for, uh, you know, it seems to have been a complete love-in of a project, and I'm sure there were days that were more fun than others, but it just seems to have been that everyone came with a pure passion for the project, uh, and that is evident on screen. Well, yeah. we, we have amnesia too, like there was like the tough times that we forget we're like oh no no it was great like it was so fun remember that time we did this and we have selective amnesia for all the uh, you know the war stories and then we do it again you know like how did i get myself into this again but um it's it's part you know we love what we do you know and it, it was it was definitely a, like a family crew you know and even like i came in in season two and so you know the cast is like who are you you know you're new you know and that happens a lot like on murder i came in in season five you know like there's the people have been working together for years, you know, and you come in and you just right away introduce yourself. And next thing you know, I'm bothering you for something. I'm in the, in the way or, you know, asking questions or, you know, oh, Hey, look, you know, look what we did. So that's, I mean, you just, it's, they're so welcoming, you know, and even Jonathan Frakes too, cause he directs. So I remember mm-hmm. my first day being like, hi, I have a question for you. And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, Liz with the art department. And then like all day he was like, Liz, calling me for stuff you know and i'm just like what how did i get here you know so it was they're definitely a family they're super super welcoming they're lovely you know and so it's that that's to go to work every day and work with those people and do that like it's a dream um i'm not at all jealous um you know not even a little but i get to go to work with mike every day so that's 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 lovely too Um, see what more could you ask for sure Exactly, exactly. Um, Liz, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much. We're going to come up toward the end of this interview now. I have another question to ask. Mike, could you go ahead? Anything that uh, we have completely steamrolled over there? No, I think that's pretty much all from me. Okay, that's great. Then, nice, easy, simple question, Liz. We ask everyone, uh, no thought needed. Um, Liz, what does Star Trek mean to you? Oh, my. It's such a deep question. I mean, I just, you kind of let, we let into it already. I mean, it's really, it's a, it's not just a world that you can go and escape to, but it's like a family that you join, you know? And it's, it's, I don't know. It's this universe of like acceptance and like, ah, my words have lost me now. (laughs) But I, I, that, that is beautiful. That, that idea of family of being welcomed in, it's, it's been, I think as a fan, 
doing this podcast, getting to speak to people who've worked on the franchise now, hearing that is a wonderful feeling that hits a little bit different because myself and Mike, sometimes we will ask each other, what does Dark Me do us? And it means coming home. It means family. It means wonderful. And when we get to hear people who literally work in the franchise saying something similar, that just kind of, just, just like a nice little warm feeling in here. So yeah, thank you the for the warm family. feeling. No, and they love, it's funny because it, it's a, it's a, franchise and a series that loves the fans you know like every day we're planning stuff and we're like oh what would the fans think will they you know do we is this going to make sense are they going to like this or oh yeah yeah this you know it's it's all about like will the fan and me like this you know and and it's it's really they care about the fans it's not like oh whatever we're just making content you know it's very very fan based you know so you know even, even like me being that kind of nerdy fan Star Trek knowledge, you know, they're like, Liz, come in here and explain this to us. You know, how does this work? You know, and so it's, it's it was, it's a, it's so cool. You know, like, it's hard to explain sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's, it's just great to hear. I mean, I'm just buzzing here in this as well. Like, it is, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, Liz, thank you so much for your time, both on the pod this evening, and thank you for all of the time and effort that you put into um, all of Star Trek so far. And I'm saying so far, because there's no way it's, it's over. There's no escape. You're not getting away that easily. You will be dragged back. And we, I know we're going to love what we see. I hope so. I hope so. I'm like, hire me. Call me back. <laughs> <laughs> that's right like you know kind of, oh you're on that waiting list yeah i've been i've been ringing higher but like you know to do watch i'll hoover the carpet i don't care like it doesn't matter um, but uh just before we finish up um when everyone is listening to this and they're going to be like we want to talk to you where is the best place to reach out to you and get in touch um you guys can email me i think if you google me my website has my email on it and so email is probably the best i mean you can twitter too if i see it on there um if i'm uh, instagram too but um, yeah, email is probably the best. If you, I've had a few people ask me like technical questions, and if I have time, I'm I'm pretty good now about res- responding. Twitter, I don't always see it. Like if it's like in a thing, but I I try to if I if I do see it. So reach yeah, out. What we'll do is we'll put uh, the links to the website and Twitter and Insta just in the description of this video. Great. So um, so people will be able to lazy people like me will be able to just click the link. Um, uh, but Liz, thank you so, so much. Uh, this has been so cool. And I've learned so much as well, just about how everything was done. Um, it's like these, these sets don't just pop up out of the ground. Um, it's funny because nobody ever asks you like, oh, how does, how did you do this? Like, not like nobody cares, but you know, we do a lot of like movie magic that nobody ever sees. And so this, because you guys already know kind of what to look for, like the technical stuff, like how, what, how I printed on the plexiglass, you know, it's like, what? Like, nobody's ever asked me that before. And on this, it's like thousands of people are asking it. So, you know, I'm happy to explain, you know, how we did it and what are, what the research It's only because was. people are going to be building these sets in their bedrooms now. So they want to know 100%. so they can get it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was right. So yeah, Mike, you got that stuff as well. Okay. So we're going to get, you yep. know, the, the map yeah. as well. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That is cool. That is still I've got my 50 inch TV ready to go. It's fine. <laughs> Excellent. We, we, we might be back in touch now about the exact uh, wood paneling on the horseshoe as well. I, I, I oh, that was hand painted. So yeah, yeah, you're out of luck there. We, we painted those. 
Okay, that's great. So are you free for a painting job? Completely unrelated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. We'll make a weekend of it. It's grand. We'll put on some Star Trek in the background. Um, that is right. Liz, thank you so much. Uh, Mike, thank you so much. Uh, you poor man, I know we're pushing four in the morning for yourself, so thank you so much for joining That's us. That's fine. Uh, wonderful. Everyone who is listening and watching along, thank you as always. You are fantastic. You are brilliant. We will be back, of course, next week with another episode of The War Room. I have been Sean. I'm bloody lucky to be joined by Liz and Mike. Everyone, live long and prosper.